So I remember about 10 years ago, I was working at a camp and a friend of mine pulled me aside and asked if we could uh, have a conversation and he could talk to me about God. And after some small talk, he looks at me and he asks, essentially says something like, you're a Christian. How do you know if what you believe is true? And he wasn't so much challenging me. He was definitely genuinely interested. You know, you, and he wasn't a total stranger to the story of Christianity. Uh, but his big question was, how do you know it's true? It was, it was a great question. And so I want this to be a little bit interactive, if possible, this morning. Uh, so if you have ever struggled with that, just wondering, is this true? How do we know? Uh, why don't you, you know, hit, hit the like button, put, post a quick comment so other, other people can see, because I'm sure that my friend is not the only one that has uh, ru- routinely wondered, how do we know that this is true? Now, this morning, hundreds of millions, probably billions of people around the world are celebrating Easter you know, from their homes celebrating the belief that around 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the Son of God, rose from the dead. Uh, uh, and everything about, everything about Christianity hinges on this being true. This is the highlight of the, Christian, of the Christian calendar. And there are a lot of places where you could start with this question of, how do I know Christianity is true? But for me, the place I always like to start is with the resurrection, and being Easter, what, what a great time to look at uh, the reality of the resurrection. So this morning, I want to share with you three reasons. Three reasons taken from Luke chapter 4, why I believe the resurrection really happened, and then what that has to do with you and how you can respond to it. You know, for many right now, hope feels probably in short supply. But the great news about Easter is that hope is in abundance at Easter. And so I want to speak to you this morning, uh, those of you who might be more like my friend, who are either on the fence or skeptical or just not sure what you believe, and give you some reasons why, uh, you know, not only do I believe this is true, but that it changes everything about everything. Uh, you know, I've talked to some people who have essentially said, you know, I, I, I want this story to be true. It sounds great. I would love to believe that there's a God who exists and wants to have a personal relationship with me, but I just... I just can't buy it. It kind of seems, you know, for an educated adult, it's hard to believe that things like, you know, Jesus was born of a, a virgin, they lived a sinless life, that he rose again from the dead. That kind of seems like a fairy tale. And if that's you, and that's kind of what your train of thought is this morning, I just want to let you know uh, you're not in a bad spot. In Luke 24, I want you to listen to Jesus' apostles, their initial reaction to hearing that Jesus had rose from the dead. This is what happened. So it says, so the women rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples what, what had happened. And, uh, but when they heard it, it says, the story sounded like nonsense to the men, and they didn't believe it. That's a normal reaction to hearing that someone rose from the dead. And then these people that had spent three years with Jesus, had seen him do miracles, were told repeatedly by Jesus that this was going to happen, and they still didn't believe it. So it, if that's your first reaction, you know, I don't blame you. But let me ask you this question to think about. What type of evidence do you think it would take for you to change your mind? What would it take for you to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead? Because there was something that changed the apostles' minds. In fact, something changed their minds to the point where they all went to their deaths for claiming that it really happened. 
And these are firsthand eyewitnesses who would have known for a fact whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead. And history records that not a single one of them recanted their testimony. You know, you don't believe any of the nonsense, especially that comes out around Easter, that the disciples merely believed in a spiritual resurrection of Jesus or that the resurrection was just a later addition to the teachings of Christianity. Now, I mean, it's, it's fine to say that you don't believe in it, but history does not let us say that the first followers of Jesus, these first-generation Christians who knew the historical Jesus, history does not let us say that they didn't believe he rose from the dead. The evidence is overwhelming that they did. And so here is why that's always been so important to me personally. You know, people believe things that are wrong all the time. People die for things that, that aren't right. But very rarely, if ever, do people die for beliefs that they know are wrong. You know, people don't willingly die for a lie. But if this story is true, and I believe with all my heart that it is, it is the greatest story ever told. That God has overcome sin and death, that God took on our suffering so that we could be reconciled to him and he proved that it happened through the resurrection. That is the best story that's ever been told. So let me give you three reasons from Luke chapter 24, uh, three reasons why the disciples changed their mind and three reasons that I really think are, that I've always helped me believe that this was actually true, that Easter really happened, that Jesus has risen as he said. So let me read to you uh, Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12. Because the first piece of evidence we're going to look at, which might seem a little bit obvious, but the first reason why the disciples believed that Jesus rose from the dead was the tomb that he was put in on Friday was empty on Sunday. It kind of seems obvious, but the tomb was empty. And that's the first reason why they believed. But let me read uh, Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So the women uh, had to, they, Jesus had, was buried in a hurry on Friday because it was approaching the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is over and the women go to the tomb to finish the embalming process. Gives us one big clue that this was not expected. And, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their, heads, bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. <clears throat> so I wish I had more time, because this first piece of evidence is fascinating both in its simplicity and in its soundness. But here's the short version, just a few things to consider. You know, first, the crucifixion of Jesus happened at Passover. And it, during the Jewish Passover, sometimes over 100,000 Jews, extra Jews, would come to Jerusalem to celebrate it. So Jerusalem was packed with spectators. And on Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into town on a colt 
and he was you know, proclaimed as a conquering king, so he was making some waves. And then he was, uh, he was betrayed by the Jewish authorities, publicly tried and convicted by the Romans, and crucified as a public spectacle, and then buried in a known location. So if you were going to make something up to start off your movement, you know, claiming that Jesus rose from the dead would have been a pretty poor strategy, especially when it could have been easily disproven. You know, the Romans and the Jewish leaders could have easily stopped the movement by just producing the body. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a lot of people think that you know, the, body was, the body was missing. What might have happened? Because it show, seems that the tomb was empty and said, well, maybe the disciples stole it. Well, it's not very plausible that the disciples who all fled at Jesus' crucifixion would become bold enough to overnight sneak past Roman guards, open up a tomb, steal the body, then devote the rest of their lives traveling around the Roman Empire to proclaim this lie-slash-cover-up until they were killed for refusing to recant their testimony. That just doesn't seem very plausible. The truth is, the disciples believed that Jesus had risen from the dead because the tomb was empty. Uh, But that wasn't the only piece of evidence they had. And each one of these pieces of evidence sort of builds off each other. You know, individually, they might, um, might, might not make that compelling of a case, but taken together, it starts to get really convincing. So the second piece of evidence that changed their mind was how Jesus himself fulfilled numerous Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. So in all of these prophecies would have predated Jesus by hundreds, sometimes over a thousand years. They were things like that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5 too. In Isaiah 7.14, it talked about that Jesus would be born, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And it also, the Bible predicted that the Messiah would be crucified between criminals. Between, and if you, so if you read Isaiah 52 through 53, for example, it's uncanny how much that lines up with the, with the crucifixion, with the passion description of Jesus. Now, you could chalk some of this up again to coincidences, but there's a lot of coincidence. I mean, there's something like, there's sort of debate, but there's at least 50 specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, almost tons of them he would have had no control over. But as interesting as that is, the prophetic fulfillments are not what the early church highlighted the most, that, this, that Jesus just, it was a bunch of random things that he fulfilled. Uh, the big picture that they highlighted and Jesus highlighted was how he fulfilled the entire story that was being told. He was the fulfillment of what was started in Genesis and worked all the way through, all the way through the scriptures. So listen to this next verse. This is Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. This is the words of Jesus, of the risen Jesus. He's speaking to two guys who don't know it's him. And this is what he says to them. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And enter into his glory. So, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, so, what 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 Jesus what Jesus does here is he goes through, starting with again Moses, and he go, gives them an Old Testament lesson, and he highlights how he just. He's like, this is, this is where I was prophesied about. This is where I was prophesied about. This is how was the fulfillment of this. He was telling them this story. So before we go into our third point, let's just recap. The first two reasons the disciples went from skeptics to believers were the tomb was empty, 
They saw how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, and he was the fulfillment of this story that was being told. But here's the third reason. They had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. Just having an empty tomb and fulfillment of prophecy wouldn't have been enough. But what changed their minds fully, I believe, is that they personally encountered the risen Jesus. Let me read to you. This is at the end of Luke chapter 24 as this this chapter starts to come to a close. It says this. And they were talking about these things. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and though they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And while they, were st- and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it, and he ate it before them. I love... Uh, I love this account because it just shows how Jesus deals with their doubts. Do you notice how gentle he was with them? You know, they, how much proof he's willing to give them? He says, guys, it's, it's me. It's really me. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an illusion. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me if you need to. And he says he did this and they still disbelieved. He's like, all right, who's got some fish? Who's got something I can eat? Because you know, ghosts, ghosts, ghosts don't need food. Um, <laughs> it's really me. And as we see that the tides start to turn and we move on, move on into to Acts, that they, they believed. And they continue to place their faith in the, in the risen Jesus. Uh, but I've, I've done this long enough, which hasn't even been super long, but I've done this long enough to know that I can't convince anyone to believe this story on my own. I think these three points that really prove that Jesus rose from the dead that this was a real event that happened, that the tomb was empty, that, the, that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, and that the disciples really saw him. I think those three things make the most sense of the evidence that we have of the first church starting from Jerusalem, proclaiming that, going out to the, to the known world. Um, but even convincing you of that is not going to be really enough. Because what the Bible's calling us to do is not just believe in these historical events, but to understand the entire story of the gospel where we need to trust Jesus as our Savior. Because the reason why Jesus had to rise, that Jesus rose, was because he had to die. We talked on Good Friday that Jesus died on the cross to take on the sin and the payment for our sin. And, but before I go and say, here's why you need Jesus, uh, let me tell you why I need Jesus. The difference he's made in my life and how he, and how he changed my life. You know, I, I consider myself fortunate. I grew up in a faith-filled home. I grew up going to church uh, really since I could remember, and um, <clears throat> I'm thankful for that. You know, growing up, I was a champion at sword drills. Some of you guys might know what that is. A sword drill is, you, know, you get a, it's a total, like, Christian culture homeschool thing to do, but you, you know, hold up your Bible, and the, and the teacher would just say a random Bible verse. It's like, ah, Isaiah 54, 12, and everyone rushes to find it, and the first person who can find it raises their hands, and, uh, and says it, you know, I was, I was pretty good at sword drills. Uh, so for a lot of my life, I knew about the Bible. I knew about Jesus. I could find verses faster than most people. But I'm not sure how personally impacted I was by it. 
But the moment that began to change for me when I was in 10th grade. You know, at that point, I wasn't super interested in church or even youth group, not mainly just because I thought it was, it was kind of boring. I had a deal with my parents at the time that I had to attend you know, youth group once a month. And I you know, still, still went to church with them. But if I wanted to hang out with my friends on the weekend, once a month I had to attend youth group. And so it was at that time I got invited to a winter retreat. And I only said yes. It's interesting. This was the, this was the weekend that God changed my life. And my super spiritual reason for going was I heard there's going to be a bunch of cute girls. So that's why I went on this winter retreat. But that weekend, God changed my life. And I felt myself come alive to the truths I had known my whole life, but I hadn't been deeply impacted by. Uh, And it's hard to even describe what happened other than it finally clicked how much I needed God's grace. It finally clicked that the, it's it's like my soul came alive to those truths. And for the first time in a while, I wanted to follow Jesus. It was, it was, it was appealing. It's like he, he got a hold of my heart. And, and two years later at that same retreat, God changed my life in a way I never saw it coming. It was January, it was Saturday night, January 6th, 2001. And the pastor at that retreat had just shared the story of the gospel. He had shared the story how God created this world perfect and how much, but our sin messed everything up. But then he talked about how much God loves us. Uh, but our sin separates us from, from him. Uh, and apart from his intervention, we all deserve judgment. And, and, and not only that, you know, we, sin just messes us up. It messes up our relationships, messes up how we treat each other. But God showed his love for us in the most powerful way through Jesus. And while we are yet sinners, he died for us. And on the cross, when he died, he took on the penalty of our sin. But then he also died to free us from the power of sin. And one day we'll be free of the presence of sin. What Jesus did on the cross was amazing. But before that, he lived that perfect life that we should have lived. If you want to know what both God is like and how we're supposed to live, you look at the life of Jesus. He lived that life we should have lived. And on the cross, he took on our sin and suffering. He gave his life up for us. I was thinking about how how crazy it is that God's love is so costly. that It cost Jesus his life. But what we're celebrating this morning is he did not stay dead. On the third day, he rose again, defeating sin and death. And forgiveness and salvation are available to anyone who's willing to repent and turn to God in faith. So he shared that story. And after sharing that story, he did what's traditionally called an altar call, which is really just giving people an opportunity to respond. So some kids were going forward to get prayed for and um, just to publicly declare what the decision they had made. Um, I'll never forget that night. I didn't go forward. I, didn't, I just sat and watched. But as in that moment, I felt God say this to me. As I watched people go forward, I felt him say, Albie, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. I want you to share this story and help lead others to me. You know, it wasn't an audible voice, but it, it might as well have been. And it, this is one of the clearest times that something like that's ever, ever hap- to, happened to me. And I look back, I can't believe one, that was almost 20 years ago. But it was because of that moment that I am here speaking to you today. You know, God got a hold of me when I, when I wasn't looking for it or for him. It was totally unexpected. Uh, you know, I, 
I'm not someone who has it all together or is up here speaking to you about, about Jesus because of anything I've done. You know, I'm just here declaring that I'm a sinner who's been saved by grace and trying to share, trying to share this, message, this message of Easter with everyone else. But let me circle back to the beginning of this message and go back to that question my friend asked me. So how do you know it's true? For me, the place I always start is with the resurrection because I think that's the easiest thing to point to and prove. Because if that's true, it makes sense of everything else to me. And my friend, he asked me some other questions. Some, some were, he's like, okay, yeah, maybe. Um, but what about this? He's like, well, what about, um, what about science in the Bible? Or what about what the Bible has to say about sex? That seems pretty restrictive. Or uh, what about people who've never heard? Well, really great and, and challenging questions. But then he asked me this question. Uh, why does God allow, allow bad things to happen? You know, why is there so much suffering in the world? It, it doesn't seem fair. And maybe you're wondering even now, like, why did God let the coronavirus happen? If he could have, you know, why did he let it happen if he could have stopped it? And uh, quick spoiler alert, I'm not going give to give you an easy answer because I don't claim to know uh, the mind of God on, on that. But here's what I do know for sure. Going back to, he says, you know, it seems like the world's not fair. And the truth is, the world isn't fair. It's not. But because of the cross, here's what I know. The world's not fair, but it's unfair to my advantage. The only perfect person who ever lived, you know, was betrayed by his friends, unjustly tried, and then died on a cross bearing the penalty for the wrongdoing of others. If God willingly did that so that I could be saved and know him, so that you could be saved and know him, then the world's not fair. But as uh, the old Reliant K lyric goes, the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. And the cross shows that the world is unfair, but it's unfair to our advantage. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope, you gives, I hope that gives you hope this morning amidst the uncertainty. We have a real hope that God has proved his love for us in, in an amazing way. But for those of you who you know, might be watching this morning and you're not sure or, or you haven't considered it before, this is, what, this is what I firmly believe that is true for, for everybody. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he did everything the Bible says he did. He was crucified on a Roman cross. And on Easter morning, that tomb was empty because he rose again as he said. Had Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to God. But he says that his way is open to all. And there's one, one path, but that path is open and available to everybody. Anyone who calls on him through repentance and faith can be saved. And, and maybe this morning this finally makes sense to you. You're looking for you know, hope and something greater to believe in. This is the best news that there is. Eternity changing news. news. Jesus took on your judgment so you wouldn't have to. Anyone who trusts in him can be saved and you can start a new relationship with him starting today. That's the amazing news of Easter. That Jesus is not just restoring us individually as well, but his resurrection means he's restoring all things. 
So if you're wanting to trust in him this morning, if this message is making sense and you're thinking, I think I believe that, what do I do? How do I respond? I want to share with you a simple prayer. There's nothing magical about it. All that you don't even have to get it perfectly right. Um, one of the hosts is actually going to copy and paste it and put it in, the, in, the, in one of the chat boxes so you can read it. And all this is is just a prayer that helps verbalize maybe the belief that you may be feeling. And it goes like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I have come to believe that my sin has separated me from you. I also know that my sin must be punished. But I now believe that Jesus took that punishment when he died on the cross in my place and rose again. So right now, I trust Jesus alone as my Savior. Thank you for accepting me and for forgiving me and for the eternal life I now have. Amen. So if you, if you prayed that prayer this morning, or maybe you just aren't, still aren't sure, I want you to reach out to us. You, whether there's a little, there's a box, there's a decision box on the elmcity.online platform that you can click on. It'll give us some information and we can reach out to you. Or just send us, send us a, a direct me, private message. Because this is just the beginning. You know, what we are celebrating at Easter is the truth that we have been reconciled to God that our relationship has, with him has been repaired, that grace makes the world not fair to our advantage. We want to help you start this amazing journey, what we call practicing the way of Jesus together. So happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. He is risen indeed.